As parents, we are always trying to do what's best for our children in helping them become as prepared as possible for what's next. When it comes to the recruiting process, parents and athletes alike might be wondering what kind of role parents should have throughout the different stages. Believe it or not, there might be some actions that you are taking, thinking you're helping your child as an athlete, that might actually be causing them to be unprepared for the challenges that will come their way as a collegiate athlete. As a college coach, club coach, and high school coach over the past 20 years, the athletes that I've had the chance to work with have had a wide range of skills. They come with different levels of resilience, perseverance, grit, and they've been equipped with different tools to handle the adverse situations that came their way. I wanted to consult with something of an expert on raising athletes. Today, I'm talking with Kirsten Jones. You may have heard of her. She's a former D1 volleyball player who's in the Hall of Fame at William & Mary. She spent over 20 years at Nike. She is parent to a collegiate athlete. She's the host of a nationally ranked podcast called Hashtag Raising Athletes. And she is a certified peak performance and sports parenting coach. Kirsten is now also a published author on the subject. She has a book out called Raising Empowered Athletes a youth sports parenting guide for raising happy, brave, and resilient kids. There will be a link in the show notes for you to purchase your copy. I'm excited to say that I already have mine. So let's dive in, and please feel free to pause and take notes as needed. It's time to go down the line. Let's go. This is Down the Line, and my name is Brett Sikora. I've been coaching volleyball for 20 years at every level possible, from the college level to high school and club and even middle school. I am the recruiting director for Tribe Volleyball, and I have helped over 100 athletes achieve their goal of playing volleyball in college. The recruiting process is fairly complex, and each recruiting journey is unique. I use my experience, combined with advice from college volleyball players, even college coaches and recruiting experts to help you navigate your recruiting journey. My goal is to provide you with actionable items to help make your journey a more efficient process. I hope you stick around to the end of the episode to hear more about the steps you can take towards making your goal of playing volleyball in college a reality. Look, getting into college is stressful for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a student, a student athlete, or a parent trying to help navigate a landscape that has changed so much since you yourself went through this process. And whether you're getting your recruiter to play sports in college or not, Having someone walk you through the admissions process from start to finish is extremely important. I'm very excited to announce that we are forming a partnership with your college contact. Who is College Contact? Well, they are a technology platform that connects high school students with college undergraduates for more affordable and accessible college admission advising. Translation, your student gets to meet with a current college student at their favorite university. Once you set up an initial meeting with them, they will match your high schooler to a college student based on your preferences. This college student will mentor and advise your high schooler through the entire process. From forming a college list, to brainstorming and writing college essays, to applying for scholarships and financial aid. The best part? It's extremely affordable. And use our special discount code to receive 20% off all services. Just use the code TRIBE20, that's T-R-I-B-E-2-0, at checkout to receive the discount. For more information, check the link in the description below. Now, back to today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. It's been something we've been trying to do for a while now. So would you mind just introducing yourself and a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me on down the line. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Kirsten Jones. I'm a peak performance and sports parenting coach. 
I played volleyball. I grew up in Montana, but ended up walking on at San Diego State and then transferring and finishing at William & Mary in Virginia, playing a little bit overseas and then found Nike overseas and worked for Nike for 15 years in Europe and then at World Headquarters. And while I was at Nike, I had this amazing job where I got a, it was kind of like an internal mini MBA and I ran it and I wrote it, you know, I wrote the content and everything. And while I was doing that, what I've had this epiphany of, oh, I love helping people figure out what's getting in their way and holding them back and how to release it. And so about seven, eight years ago, I got certified in life coaching. And then about four years ago with Susie Walton, I started the podcast, hashtag raising athletes. And then been working on a book too for most of that time, which is coming out soon. But really my passion is working with parents and working with athletes to figure out again, what's in your way. We all have limiting beliefs. We all have things that get in our way and helping them realize, oh, wow, I have actually a lot more power than I thought. And we spend a lot of time giving our power away. Well, he's not playing me. Well, the coach doesn't like me. Well, it's not fair versus controlling what you can and letting the rest go. And then how you react to it is ultimately you. So you control your feelings by controlling your thoughts. So that giving yourself the power of any situation, because there's people who are on a team and they're happy to be on the team because they're around the amazing girls and the coaches. And there's people who are on the team who think they should be playing in the same spot, but it's how they think about it kind of affects how they feel. And you probably know this from like your college and pro experience as well. Just you're in the same situation, but how you think about things is how you enjoy the experience or not. 100%. And the the growth mindset versus fixed mindset. So most of us, about 80% of us have a fixed mindset, which means, oh, it's not my fault. I'm just not good at numbers. I can never have a better golf swing. I just suck at golf. A growth mindset is, oh, wow, that didn't go well. So what, what do I need to do to improve? And so giving them tools and as a parent, speaking to the parents is, what are the questions that you need to ask them to help them figure out what's the next step? Oh, wow, you didn't do well on that test. So where do you want to start? Well, gosh, I guess I should go talk to the teacher. Okay, great. What else can you do? Well, there's office hours. You know, like helping them brainstorm and figure that out. And there's a huge disparity between doing it for them and allowing them to figure that out. And that's where that's where the magic is. When they get a chance to fail, fall mm-hmm. forward, stand back up, and I say, it's not how many times you get knocked over, but how, how quickly you rise up. We, we can land in the fetal position and, mm-hmm. again, come up with excuses and back to the story. Well, this is what happened. And some people are telling a story 30 years later, right? Well, that one coach hated me and that was why I know that's ancient history. So what is the story you're telling yourself about? What am I doing today in this moment in service of my long term vision? If it's to play in high school, if it's to play in college. And whatever that might be, what sport or music or art or whatever you do in life, it's going to require you envisioning where, where it is you want to go. Yes. And something you said about allowing our athletes and our young people to fail when they're at home, right? Because when they're in club, when they're in high school, they should be having opportunities to, like you said, fail forward. Because mm-hmm. in talking to a lot of college coaches, the first time that a lot of young athletes fail because again, they're around other great athletes is in college. So they're away from home in a new environment without their circle of safety. And so now they're failing for the first time. And that's an uncomfortable feeling. Like it's the first time you're not great at something and allowing our athletes to fail when we can have them, like you said, walk them through the questions, walk them through the situation and give them that opportunity to fail in a safe way, but build that skill 
that helps them with that growth mindset of, that's it, I'm not good. Well, that's mm-hmm. not growth mindset. It's, I'm not good yet, right? Just like I have one of my favorite books for my son. It's called The Magical Yet. It's like, I'm not good at this yet. And so it's like one of those things where I think that we should be as parents, as club coaches, as teachers, educators, helping our students and giving them situations to fail, figure it out, and then move forward. So how can we as parents working with our athletes, how can we build that into things we do like in our conversations and basically in our interactions to help them figure that out at an earlier age? Great question. And one that I talk about all the time. So it starts at home and it starts with what we do. I mean, some people feel like, oh, I, I can't make a mistake. I can't model that. My co-host, Susie Walden, she goes, if you're one of those people, you just don't make mistakes, then make it up. She's like, get off at the wrong exit once and go, oops, I made a mistake. Because what the kids are seeing is mistakes are bad and I shouldn't do that. And so I should feel bad about myself when I make a mistake. And the answer is no, we all make mistakes. So acknowledge it, say, oh, well, that didn't go the way I thought. Okay, what should I do next? And asking for feedback. Again, I think a lot of kids get that idea that if they were wrong, then they don't want the feedback because they're afraid it, they take it personally versus it just being the part of the process of this is how we learn. Like you don't expect, you know, if you're going to speak Russian, like I'm not going to just throw you in. Okay, now go speak with them. Like, no, we're mm-hmm. going to start with vocabulary. It's, it's the same way with modeling how we want them to grow. So when things don't go well, that's the dinner table conversation. Wow, I had a rough day at work today. I, you know, this didn't go well. And that's, oh, good. Well, yeah, that happened to me in third grade too. You know, the third grader can talk about their perspective on what didn't go well, but allowing them to normalize that it's okay that you didn't do it perfectly. The question is, okay, so now what? Okay, didn't go well. Okay, now what are you going to do? Yeah, I am a huge believer in the growth mindset and listen to a lot of Trevor Reagan stuff. And he talks about having those conversations of when you do something well, it's not, oh, great, you're amazing. You're smart. You're, you know, you're perfect. But it's, you must have worked really hard at that. You must have tried different things. And so I think you said modeling it for them, but also when they do it right, it's how we respond to them is very important in whether it's, it's the effort and the process that we're praising not the outcome, because if it's only ever outcome, then they always want to be safe because they don't want to have the possibility of failure. So then they're limiting themselves and not trying new things that can give them bigger and better situations. I love this saying, and I say it all the time, my kids like, I'm asking for you to do your best, not be the best. And when they feel the pressure of being the best and that FOMO and the comparisonitis of, well, she does this or he does that. No, I mean, everybody has different skill sets. All I want to know is, did you go out there and try your hardest? And if you did that, that's amazing. Carol Dweck's book too, Mindset, her same exact thing is what we find is if the kids who in first grade were given a puzzle and they couldn't figure it out, and then they finally figured it out after spending an extra 15, 20 minutes on it, then they wanted to do the harder puzzle. And then they started building the competence, which built the confidence. And what happens is when we unfortunately, do things thinking we're being helpful by taking the pain away. Oh, I'll just do it for you. They don't get to build that muscle of learning. Oh, okay. I worked at it harder and now I'm going to be better at this. Yeah. I've read that book. I've got that in my bag for, for stuff. And the same thing with Angela Duckworth, I believe with grit, same thing, like Mm -hmm. use that 
quiz, the grit scale, I guess it is, yep. as, as a part of our team building stuff. And I'm a huge fan of that. So how do we, as coaches and parents, how do we build the grit and how do we model that for them? Because ultimately with my two and four-year-old, I see them doing what we're doing. Like, wow, I didn't know they were paying attention when I did that. I need to be very mindful <laughs> of what I'm doing. Like, like my two-year-old starts doing burpees. I'm like, okay, they're, they're paying attention to what we're doing. That's awesome. So yeah. how do we kind of have those conversations and model for them grit and resiliency that isn't necessarily just, just a question or a way that we respond to things? Yeah, so... 85% of what people pick up on is is body language, right? It's less than 15% actually is what's coming out of our mouths. And when you think about that in terms of parenting or in terms of coaching, what are you modeling? Are you on time? Are you early? Are you, you know, are you, are you proactive? Do you have a practice plan? What are you doing that's showing them that you're prepared? And again, modeling those kind of things. And then from the perspective of how do we build grit in them? Grit is one of the things that Angela defines is it's not about I'm a gritty person in everything. You can be really gritty in math and not so gritty in English because you don't really like to read. So it's a muscle that needs to be built with every competency. And so when you take that, if you go on to our website, you can take this grit scale test, right? And think about it in terms of something you're going through right now or something you want to get better at. And then volleyball, for example, what is it? Well, I really need to learn how to jump serve. Okay, so do you jump serve yet? No. Okay, so what are the steps that we need to take? So then you start chunking it down and breaking it down, right? You're not going to jump serve the first match that you walk into if you've never jump served before. You're, but you're going to build that competence at, you know, actually at the club that I coach out of here in Los Angeles, she says you need to be able to serve 40 balls or 50 balls into the target that she designates before you can even start thinking about jump serving, right? So we got to crawl and then walk and then run. And like great John Wooden, he would spend an hour with the UCLA basketball team telling them how to put on their socks properly, because if you don't put the socks on the right way, then you get blisters. If you get blisters, you can't play. It's focus on the fundamentals. And then as you build those competencies, then you take bigger and bigger risks. And because you now have there's, I, I think of it as like a foundation, like I'm better at this and I've got this skill. So that when things don't go well, you kind of go, that's okay. I've been working on this and it builds up over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're challenging yourself so that you're going to have failures as you learn things. But it's one of those where if you only ever stay safe, like you said, getting the, the competence first before you start attacking them. And I'm a big believer in teaching the skill before they need it, teaching them how to use the hammer before they need to start hitting nails. Um, so it's like, there's going to be a lot of failure with the early, especially with volleyball, the little, little kids with new skills that they might not need yet, but in order for them to have it when they need it, they're going to be a lot of failure, a lot of growth. And so it's a lot of feedback on the process and having conversations. And I heard something, I, I can't remember where I heard it from, but it was like the six most important words, like a parent can say to your kid is I love to watch you play. And then yes. that's kind of, that's the supportive that's giving them the space they need at the time, like after a win, after a loss, right? Because if you only ever do great things after wins, then that kind of tells them that it's the outcome that's the most important. My friend, Asia Mape, is, she runs the I Love to Watch You Play website, which is a great resource also for all volleyball players. But if I can just touch on that, those are the six most important words and the only words that they need to hear from you. Not the ref sucked or, wow, that kid should have been subbed out earlier. Leave all of that 
for another time and allow them to usually mostly kids, once they're done with the match or the game, they're done. And then what's for dessert? And where are we going for ice cream? Mm -hmm. And and we still are replaying that, oh gosh, and that didn't go well and this didn't go well. And we're, we get caught up in it. If you really want to talk about it, give it 24 hours and then ask, hey, do you want to talk about your game? Nah, I'm good. You know, or you might get one that's growth minded. And if you play, they're like, okay, I, I do want to hear what you have to say. But way away from the excitement or the tension of the moment so that everybody gets a break of it. But that's for sure the number one thing to say. And really the only thing they need to hear us say. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think, what kind of role can parents play throughout the recruiting process? Hmm, great question. Again, it's similar to what we were just talking about, which is this is their journey, not your journey. You are there to support them in it. And yes, I've got three kids. One is on top of everything and she'll handle it herself. And the boys tend to be more like, eh, we're just going to wait for it to happen. And so I get it. I know that, you know, it's not every kid is super organized and driven and wants to email coaches, but encouraging them to take control of their journey. It's their destiny. Do you want to play? And then it's coming up with the questions. Where? What size of school? What type of coach? And I have actually on my website, I have a list of recruiting questions. Should you get to that stage where it's a two-way street? You're being interviewed, but you're also interviewing them because in order for it to be a good match, you've got to make sure that both sides fit. And I feel like what happens a lot is, is you know, kids getting so excited that whatever school is, is, is after me. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. And actually I can speak from experience. That's what happened when I got recruited to San Diego state. I never visited. I never met the head coach. I never met any of the players. I was just a kid from Montana, excited to get to get to go somewhere. And shocker, like it wasn't a great fit for me from a coaching style. So yet the second time when I went out and met with the coach and met with the team and, you know, this woman's been in my wedding, she's still one of my best friends. Right. So Finding fit, I think, is the is probably the biggest driver. And and that takes time. It's like a relationship, you know. So I don't know where in the process you want to start, but like, you know, they may text you or mm -hmm. watch you and you've sent film and they start emailing and then they'll say, let's jump on the phone. And then maybe your your athlete has like a 30 minute conversation. And then a next step now, particularly with as much zooming as we've been doing, if they're not close to you, say, you know, can we speak? So you get a chance mm -hmm. to also see them, but you're letting your athlete drive the conversation. And then ultimately, if it's like, gosh, we're really interested, we'd love for you to come visit, coming with your questions around what is important, knowing what you want. And I say to everybody, it doesn't matter what level of interest you get. I don't care. D2, D3, NAI, D1, like it doesn't matter. It's amazing. Less than 7% get to play at any level, right? Mm -hmm. So I know some kids are like, oh, I want to be D1. Yeah. But the fact that anybody is spending time reaching out to you is a gift and yes. it's going to benefit you because the more conversations you have and you have to tell your story and what you're interested in, the better you are able to define, oh gosh, I do really want to go into business or I really don't want a big school or you're figuring out what your parameters are too and, and what's important to you. And like, you're going to have your top 10 of, you know, I really want you know, I want to be in state. I want to be at a school that offers X, Y, or Z. Like understanding what your filter is and your priorities mm -hmm. are huge in finding that fit. Because ultimately, say you have to have the broken leg test, which is if something were to happen and you decide not to play going forward, would you be happy there? And would right. you want to stay? So if volleyball was removed, would you still be good being a student there instead of a student athlete? 
Right. A couple athletes that have done that, who got to the school, loved the school, program didn't work out. That's okay. She's like, I love the school. I'm going to stay. Okay, awesome. And I have another client who was playing D3 basketball. Academically, the school was a great fit. The coach didn't end up being a great fit. But now Mm -hmm. she's like, you know what? These aren't my people. So she's in the transfer portal trying to figure out, okay, what's next? Yeah. You said the broken leg test. And now, like with the transfer portal being as prevalent as it is, we find the kids, if they get an injury and they're not playing anymore, they're likely to come home and do something closer, right? That way they're closer to their support mm-hmm. circle, closer to their family. You talked about questions and you have those on your website. I love that for parents to help athletes generate questions because we get all the time, what question should I ask? And my response mm-hmm. is simply, well, what's important to you? What do you want to know? Mm-hmm. So I always recommend to the athletes that they come up with things that are important to them and then have parents help generate questions because you might have much more experience with the words and phrasing of things, but generating questions based on those things you're interested in rather than just being a template list of here's the 10 things you should ask because athletes are different. Kids are different. Not everything's going to be you know important to you that's important to them. So having them come up with 10, 15, what, what's important to you? And then asking a question to figure out a way to, to get that answer. Yeah, I have like a hundred on there. And again, I'm not Mm -hmm. suggesting that you go through the laundry Mm -hmm. list, but it's just a way to spur ideation. But I was talking to a D1 volleyball coach once and I said, so what happens when you're on the visit? What are you focused on? And he said, a lot of times, because he was coaching women's volleyball, I'm focused on the mother-daughter interaction. And I'll notice if the mom and the daughter are attached at the hip and can't be apart the whole time, or they're texting each other every time we separate them, huh, red flag, this might not be a great fit because they don't want to be apart versus a daughter who's coming in and she's leading the questions and the mom's kind of taking a back seat. Like again, college coaches now aren't, they aren't dealing. When I ask them, are you talking to the parents? No, we, we don't have anything to do with the parents. We're working with the girls to develop them into women. And if we have the parents always interjecting, it's not healthy. So this is your chance to let them lead and let them drive the conversation. But you, like you said, before you Obviously during, you know, oh, did you want to ask about this? You can throw a few things Mm -hmm. in there, but you shouldn't be driving it. She should be, again, coming with what's important to her and figuring that out. There have been coaches that I've worked for that just say, I'm not dealing with parents about playing time. You're here on campus, you're at practice, you're in the weight room, you're in the class. Like, so if you have a question, talk to me. And there's even the point of one coach got an email from a parent about playing time, printed off, put it up on the bulletin board so everybody could see the question. It's like, no, you have a question. You talk to me. Like your parents support you, not with me. Yeah. And as, as club and high school coaches, we, we obviously don't have that because they are who we deal with. They're the ones that are involved with the tournaments. In your club, Sorry. do you have a 48 hour? Do you have a 48 hour rule? Yes, your club? we do. Okay, we do. Yeah. You're not talking to coaches at the tournament. It's going to be schedule something when we get home before practice come in and it's always going to be the athlete talking to the coach first. And if that doesn't resolve, then it's athlete and parent, but it's never going to be a conversation of just parent because it's the athlete that's involved. It's the athlete on the court. And a lot of times they can explain to mom or dad of, well, yeah, I don't really do that in practice when given the opportunities. So why do you expect that I would get a chance to in a game? Right. Or that they can, they can kind of have those buffer conversations, I guess, with the parents. Same coaching going into that conversation with his or her coach is saying, not 
why am I not playing? But what do I need to do? What do I need to work on? What are the two or mm -hmm. three things? Or here's what I've noticed when I did to get a play, you know, I hit negative 250 and I didn't get any blocks and I served out. Or I did mm -hmm. get these stats. So can you tell, help me figure out, you know, and it's not a science, it's an art. There's a bit of both, right? So it's not going to be a hard and fast rule. And maybe the girl that's in front of you just, you know, is that much bigger or stronger or faster or athletic? That, that could be the answer too. But mm -hmm. if you have a good coach, they're going to at least be able to give you some tangible feedback. You know, they yes. should be able to tell you why, why you're not on the floor, but it shouldn't only be about the playing time. Yeah. And I've overheard conversations that we have from parents of my daughter only played six and a half minutes in that game. It's like, okay, that's, that's not something we use in volleyball. It's points and rotation. If she comes off for three <laughs> rotations, cause she's a middle. So if she can pass, she can play six, but work with, we'll start there. But yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like so far, like we are working on giving the athletes the ownership and really empowering them, which is the name of your book, Raising Empowered Athletes. So can you go in a little bit more just about how we do that, how we help our athletes grow into that empowered young adult? I mean, my analogy for this book is it's, this really isn't about sports. This is about life because ultimately we all have to pivot. I mean, even LeBron at 38, any minute now, he's going to have to pivot, right? So even the best athletes at some point are going to have to pivot away from what they love. And most of us, most of our kids are going to do it after high school. So really sports isn't about having the fastest arm swing or having the best jump serve. It's really about what are these tools about winning and losing and grit and resilience and standing back up that they're going to take and they're going to have this, I picture like a little tool belt that when they go into college and when they go into the job market, they're like, oh, I've faced this before. I know what it's like for it not to go my way. An example, my son is playing at Boston University and COVID hits, he's, he's in the dorm with five guys that just that's the only quarter of the team that he got to spend time with. And then right after he gets COVID, he gets a massive concussion. So he's there, he's by himself. He's been quarantined to a dorm room, like behind Fenway's, like calling me like, there isn't anybody in this building. But when I said, are you okay? He said, mom, I got this. And to me as a parent, that's what I want to hear is not like, come rescue me. Oh, this is horrible. Get me out of here. But wow, this sucks. And I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get through this and I got to come back. And so he was like doing push-ups and sit-ups or whatever they would allow him to do once he started getting better. Again, what is the story you're telling yourself about what you have control over? There's the stimulus and the response. And in between that space in between, that's where we live. And if everything is happening right here, well, this, and that's what happens, I think, a lot in new sports is my kid didn't play and they, and this isn't happening. And she, you know, we, we're reacting to everything as if it's right here. Allowing for things to happen and then choosing our response to it is where the power lies. And I think this book is for parents because at least when I got pregnant, everybody in my dog handed me what to expect when you're expecting. And you're like, sweet, I can, you know, week seven, it's the size of a lima bean and you feel like the best parent ever, right? And then mm -hmm. you get to kick and chase or t-ball and you're standing on the sidelines and the parents are like, well, you're, you're not going to do this anymore, right? You're going to go do the club, right? Because this, you know, you need to hire the personal coach. And again, even as a former athlete, college athlete myself and having worked at Nike, looking around like this is nuts. And where is the, the rule book? How do we, we deal with this? And I mean, that was even whatever, 15 years ago. Now I feel like 
It's a $20 billion industry. It's bigger than the NFL. So we have parents that are feeling all of that pressure and rightfully so. It's societally saying this is what we need to do. What I'm saying is you have a choice and we have to check in with what are your family values? If the kid is eight and you don't want to play travel because you want to go to Yosemite this summer and go camping, he's not going to miss out on a college scholarship because he went camping in Yosemite at age eight. But yes. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of, I, I was actually working with some 12 year olds a couple of weeks ago. And the one girl was like, yeah, 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 we can't dance on the side. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, yeah, we're not allowed to do that because then we won't get recruited. So somebody's telling them, yeah. putting pressure on a 12 year old. And I know that the parents or the coaches or whoever's saying that don't think 12 year olds are getting recruited. But what I think what they're trying to do is prepare the path so that right. when you're 14 or 15, then you won't act like that. They're 12. They should yes. have fun. They should yes. dance on the sidelines. It should be opinion. fun. Yeah. Gotta it's... be fun. I always say friends, fun, and fundamentals. Like, that's what mm -hmm. we should be working on for the first, you know, until you get basically to varsity, in my opinion. Like, you know, you should be able to multi, you know, this where everybody's got to pick a sport by age eight or, mm -hmm. you're, you know, it's too late. No, play. I was with a group last night and had, they were doing surf and swimming and diving and like do as many things as you can for as long as you can. It's good for your brain. It's good for your body, lack of overuse, stress, but it's also good for your development. You're going to be a better mm -hmm. volleyball player if you've played basketball or soccer. Yep. The cross training is so important physically and mentally. And that's what helps us help our athletes. And I know it gets crazy like doing two club sports and the time and but parents come back to what's important to you as a family and make decisions based on that. Yeah, that's, that's great. Because one of the things that we also find like on the college side of it is the kids who have done multiple sports, they're better at time management because it's not just one thing that they have to fit into their busy schedule. They're doing different sports. They're doing different activities. Like you said, it's not burnout. It's the cross training, the different skills, the different abilities, the leadership, being able to track balls in different sports that helps you with volleyball, mm -hmm. with recognition. And that is a lot of time in the car, a lot of conversations, helping with, uh, with the growth and the grit and the mindset. And now also conversations. I know because I listened to your episodes, your son went through the transfer portal, right? He's and in so, and he, yeah. so he's in and out. Okay. So how are you as a parent doing, like, what kind of conversations are you involved with? Because uh, from my side, I know what it's like as the club director and, and as a college coach doing with that and worked with athletes. How are you handling conversations that, that may be different than the original recruiting process. Yeah, I definitely I feel like I'm experiencing it from every side, from being a recruited athlete, from not being a recruited athlete, from now him getting in the transfer portal. My second son is getting ready. He's done the prep school thing. Now he's getting ready to go play in college. But um, basically what it came down to was my son could graduate by the end of summer school. He was having a bad coaching experience. It wasn't a good fit for him. So we just said, well, what are you going to do about it? And he's like, I think I would like to graduate. I still have two years of eligibility. I can go do grad school somewhere else. You know, I've got my undergrad degree from an amazing university and now I can pivot. Okay, great. So we spent a couple hours over spring break every night brainstorming how he was going to go have that conversation with the head coach and figuring out what the feedback he was going to get on that. And once he got the feedback, he, you know, he said, I've made up my mind. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. And I think it's time for me to pivot and I'm going to move on from this, but I'm so thankful that I've had this. And did it play out the way he hoped? 
no, he wasn't getting much playing time. But ultimately, it wasn't about the playing time. It was about how he felt as being a member of that team. And it wasn't how he wanted to be treated. So that's, again, completely within your control. So he jumped into the portal and he doesn't have a lot of minutes. So he's not getting his door banged down, but he has Hmm. a path. So we've been spending time. Okay, what are the schools that you do want? You need to reach out to them. So he's been doing that. Who are the coaches that you know? He did get like quite a few offers out of prep school. Reach back mm-hmm. out to every single one of those coaches. Let them know that you're in the portal. So he's doing PR again. He's back to where he was yeah. three years ago. And to the point of, we talked about earlier, what do you want? He's like, it's so interesting. He goes, doing this now as a 22-year-old, my list is totally different, right? He goes, when you are doing it as 18, 19, you think, well, I want a party school or I want this or, you know, and he's like, no, what a great grad school. I want to have basketball in my life. If I could be, you know, in New York or LA, he has an idea about what he wants. And then we've just been in the background saying, call us, let us know what questions we can ask, but this is your deal. Yeah. And that's great because we talk about preparing them for life after sports end. There's going to be times where your job that you take, you know, it's, Hey, it's my money. It's my first job. It doesn't end up being the best fit for you because you're in control of how you feel about the situation. So trying to help that better your situation, but also you're preparing them for that conversation with a boss for finding a new employer. Change is painful, but it doesn't mean it's not necessary. So it's like you're basically preparing them for those after sports experiences. Then I told him, I would love to tell you, this is the only time this is going to happen to you in life. It's not. We've lived all these places because jobs didn't Mm -hmm. go the way we thought. And, you know, some of the cases, but that's Mm -hmm. the way life goes. And actually this week he was working on an application and a a purpose statement. And he flipped one to me that was, you know, kind of just threw it out. And I'm like, okay, we got to start over. And we kept going back and forth. And by the end, like yesterday, he said, I was dancing around my my dorm because I'm so excited about what I wrote because he'd been working on it and doing the work. And he goes, now I'm just so excited for them to read it. And Mm -hmm. like, great, now you've learned I'm in control of my destiny. They may or may not say yes. He goes, I know I've put my best foot forward. And if they don't say yes, you know, these other 10 that I'm working with, one of them might. And usually the best lessons happen in these moments. We'd like to say the best lesson is when we won the state championship or whatever, which is fun. But when we figure out who we are is usually when it doesn't go our way. Because then we have to get clear on what it is we want. And the clearer we can get on that, the easier it is, again, like I said, show up every day with what it is you want to create in your life. And that, that's what I talk a lot about with parents is how do you set the tone of your day? And that you don't have to know where exactly you're going, but you just have to set a path. Like for me, this book took seven years, but it was a journey that I was willing to sign up for because I knew it was going to be worth it in the long run. Yeah, and it's about changing. And like you said earlier, do your best, not be the best. So that was the excitement of going through and coming up and redoing things and being better till something he was excited with the product. And that's something where we see as as students, as teachers, sometimes they they get something done and the quality may be what it is, but they don't ever go back and redo it until there's something they're proud of. So that's an opportunity to help teach them that. Now that's going to be something where as an employer is going to love those extra skills and he'll have those opportunities someday because he's producing better work, because he's willing to work hard and review and do those things rather than just completing a task. He's working until he's proud of it. Like I said, I mean, what's nice now is, of course, we hope it works out. But if it doesn't, at least he can walk away with his head held high, right? Like I gave it my all. I've 
I worked really hard on it. If it's not for them, then it probably wasn't a good fit anyway. And mm -hmm. so that that's such a great life skill. Because like you said, he's graduated from a great school with a good degree and sports end for everybody. Most people, it's after high school. Some are fortunate yep. it's after college. Very, very few get a chance to play professionally. So at some point, it ends for everybody. He's just simply learning those lessons that helps him get on to his career with an extra tool in his toolkit that he can help apply to different situations. And that's what my husband and I are saying, like, so what do you want to get out of grad school? I mean, this can't be about basketball anymore. This is about what am I thinking about that after the ball stops bouncing, I'm interested in this. So getting him to ask questions of himself, because ultimately our happiness has to come from within. There's a great quote from an NYU professor who talked about passion. And he's like, I think passion is BS. It's not really about passion. It's what are the things you have proclivities in? What are the things that maybe come easy to you, but they have enough interest that you're willing to work hard? And that when you're willing to work hard, then it can build, develop into a passion because you've probably faced some obstacles and you've overcome them. And that's how you, you grow. And then you're like, oh, I'm super passionate about this. Well, you didn't wake up passionate about it one day. It's been a process and a journey. Yeah, because you're willing to work hard at it, figure it out. And I think passion and motivation come and go, but it's the dedication yep. that allows you to work even when you, it's not great. It's not the perfect situation. Yep. So now I have a couple of questions I like to ask all, all of my guests. And it starts off with, what is the best advice you've ever given or received? Whoa, you didn't even prepare me for these. I think the best advice I've ever received is be opportunistic. So don't try not to be judgmental about a situation or place. We've moved a lot of places and I feel like every time I go somewhere new, I spend all my energy figuring out what, what can I discover? Where can I be? I don't know how long I'm going to be here. So being opportunistic about, and again, same if you could take it back to recruiting, cast a wide net, email a hundred schools, then get, get it down to 40, but don't cut anybody out because you don't know, and you know this well, but the volleyball world's a small world. Like if you're not getting recruited by the one that you want to get recruited by, they're probably best friends with or may get the next job at the place you want to be at. So being opportunistic about, I'm talking to everybody. I'm learning what my story is. I'm figuring out what's important to me. In fact, the NYU volleyball coach, I had him on a couple of months ago and he was talking about how he used to be at a smaller school and he recruited this really good player, hard, hard, hard. She wouldn't even respond to him. And then all of a sudden he got the NYU job and she's like, hi, how's it going? Yeah. He goes, we, we laugh about it now, but she, she wouldn't return the call. And then all of a sudden he went right to the top of the list. I say, talk to everybody at every level because you don't know what your right fit is until you, you take advantage of that. Right. And like you said, coaches switch jobs. So just because they're not at a school you want today, they could be at your dream school next week. And then all of a sudden now you do want to have this. That is big advice that I always give as well. Always return the calls, even if it's to say no, thank you, but return yes. it, be polite because you never know when your situation will change and you need to be in contact with them and they're standing between you and your opportunity. Yes. And you, people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. So one kid who he was only getting D2. So when he got a D2 text, he would say, my dad's handling my recruiting. Well, if I'm that coach, not only am I crossing him off my list, I'm letting other people know, don't bother with him, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's not taking advantage of getting the chance to talk to a D2 coach and figuring out what it is he wants. Yes. Now, opposite of the best advice, what's some of the worst <laughs> advice you've ever received or given? Because that's something <laughs> I know I, when you're a young coach, you give 
bad advice and it's not necessarily that you intend to be bad, but you, you give yeah. what you know. And as you learn and grow and get better, your advice changes. But what's the be worst advice you've ever given or received? Worst advice I've given, probably there's just too many to remember, right? As you're growing and learning and you take things through your own filter. So sometimes you give advice to everybody that is relevant for you. And I think one of the, the worst things you can do as a coach is be cookie cutter with everybody. And great leaders understand that people are motivated differently. It, just in general, in working with coaches and, and great leaders, the really great leaders understand that I'm not expecting you to flex to my style, but I want to know what your style is too. And I want to meet you halfway and help you. And I think a lot of the young kids who suffer from a coach who I'm making it up, but they're totalitarian. Like they're only do what I say and they don't give and take and they don't help the athlete figure out who they are. And I think that's what a coach's job is, mm -hmm. is to, I mean, I think it's easy to coach the ones that are going D1 and have 25 offers. Like, oh, sure, everybody wants to coach them. But I think the secret sauce are in the ones that aren't the most athletic, that don't have the highest IQ about volleyball, who just really want to be there, who are good people. There's another great book called The Captain Class, and he identified the 16 leadership skills that are necessary. And what everybody assumes is, oh, it's the Ronaldos or the Ronaldinhos or the obvious ones that everybody knows the household names are the great leaders. But some of the best leaders are the ones you don't know their name because mm -hmm. they wanted to be the glue. They were happy being the bag carrier. I had Austin Hatch on my podcast who went through two plane crashes and he ended up at Michigan playing basketball. but didn't get a play. And he's like, my job was to carry the bags from the bus to the gym. And if I did that faster, then my teammates could get ready faster. And I gave them a better chance to win. Right? Wow. Yeah. Isn't that powerful? And he said it with total sincerity. I said, did you ever have any days where you thought, why me? He's like, no, I thought, how lucky am I that I get to be a part of this team? You know, ugh, like it's, wow. it's incredible. Right? And he goes, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Of course, my dream when I was 16 and recruited by Bayline, it was going to be to be his next All-American. But after learning how to walk and talk and eat again, I realized that wasn't going to be my destiny. But being a great teammate, understanding, you know, what it means to to play a role and that we all have different roles. And sometimes we like the role we're given, but how can you do the best with the one you have? That is amazing insight. You said just to even be there. And then it's like you're given a gift. So your life is a gift and now you're serving others as well, helping lift those. That's just so touching. And that was, I'll have to go back and find that one because that's not one I've listened to yet. So I will have to listen to that one. It's not necessarily something individual. It's how you make somebody feel. And so bad advice is when, not nothing specific, but when it's just you, your way, right way, and not taking yeah. account their, their interactions, their experiences. And because as a coach, you should be teaching and helping, helping prepare and helping empower. Dave, we all, we all want to be valued. We all want to be seen and heard. And that's the goal of everybody. And so if as a coach, you can value everyone's different levels. And again, doesn't mean that, oh, I'm going to give you playing time based on me liking you or me seeing your value. But I had the Yale volleyball coach on and she said in the spring, every week she meets with every single of the 22 members of her team and at, at least at a check-in and practice, but if not in a one-on-one. -on -one. Like that's her valuing her saying, I respect you and I want to hear from you and I want to get to know you off the court too, which can only lead to good things on the court. And they won the Ivy title this year. I mean, understandably, 
Because when you feel valued, even if I'm the 22nd girl on that roster, but I feel valued, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to know that I matter. Yeah, you're going to push harder in practice. You're going to work harder in the weight room. And when you have a culture where everybody's working harder, it's amazing how far you can go. Now, final question. So if you're going to summarize in about 30 seconds, we work on our elevator pitch all the time, and I challenge myself to do this. So how can I summarize the recruiting process in 30 seconds? What would be your best advice to parents for athletes in empowering them, right? The raising empowered athletes. What would be your advice to parents? We'll just leave it at that. This is their journey and not yours. So what they might have wanted at eight, they may not want at 18. So keep checking in. And I suggest that after every season, hey, how did that season go? Did you love it? Oh, okay, you don't? Okay, let's pivot. What we found is over 70% of kids by age 13 are quitting sport altogether. Why? Because they're not having fun. Why? Because we adults are sucking all the fun out of it. So if, unfortunately, you've had a bad coach or a bad situation, fine, let's pivot. If they do have this dream and it continues and you keep checking in, I mean, I had a client who's a baseball player and he at eight wanted to play for the UCLA. By 18, it wasn't going to happen. And he didn't want to upset his mom. Yet they, they couldn't communicate on that, right? Mm -hmm. It shifts over time. There's also some factors like you can't teach height. So while you may want to be the best outside hitter for University of Oregon, it may not play out that way. So allowing them to be on the journey and then being that soft place for them to land. It's wonderful for them to have dark nights of the soul while they're with you so that when they leave the nest, I've got this. I can figure this out. Okay. And of course, they have that lifeline to you all the time. But, but allowing them to drive their process is, I think, the most important part. Yeah. And it's giving them tools so they can use it later, failing forward, right? Because if you're kind of the snowplow and you prepare the path for the child instead of preparing the child for the path, it's you're removing all obstacles, which feels more comfortable. But at some point in life, there's going to be obstacles. You're going to have challenges if they don't know how to deal with it when bigger kids, bigger problems. So you give them the chance to build that skill and those confidence and competence early. I think that's, you know, regardless of the interactions, I think that should be our goal as coaches and yes. as parents, as teachers. And when parents are like, oh, they're living in the basement, you know, like, well, gee, you didn't give them any tools, right? You, you told them, I'll take care of everything. And now all of a sudden, well, I'm cutting you off. You ready to fly? No. When they're little, right? Do it with them, show them how to do it, and then let them do it, right? Whatever it is. In fact, doing that right now with my 17-year-old and her getting the oil changed in the car, right? Uh, you just go, I'll just do it myself. No, she needs to know how to get the oil changed, right? Yep. Let's go. Let's get in the car. Let's go to Jiffy Lube. What do I say? You, you know, like helping them model again. She's seen me do it before, but clearly didn't mm -hmm. take notes. So let's do it together. And now the next time, like, okay, you want to take a swing at it? It's a silly example, but it's, it's kind of how, whether it's doing the dishes or doing the laundry or, you know, all of the life skills that they need. <laughs> yeah. You'd be surprised the number of athletes that get to college and they're living on their own and they have no idea how to make a simple meal or do their own laundry even. It's like my mom always did it for me. My dad always it's, did it. It's on an app, isn't it? Don't I just yeah. read it? Yeah. 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 No, it's true. Yep. It's very true. Good and bad. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. It was lovely to be on. I'm planning on doing a book tour in Florida because I've got a contact in Tampa and one in IMG. So I hope to be in Florida in the in the fall. Okay. Well, awesome. I'll make sure that we are getting out there and getting your book and helping support that. So thank you for everything and thank you for your time.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Down the Line. If you enjoyed today's show, we would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment and leave us a rating and a review on your preferred listening platform. Your feedback helps us to continually make improvements to give you a better listening experience and allows us to bring some more impactful guests onto the show. Also, if you could share this episode with a friend or teammate who you think could benefit from the content we covered today, this helps us help you achieve your goal of playing volleyball in college. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back with another episode soon. In the meantime, thank you for being a part of our tribe.